the show that goes there. This is the Shaggy Jenkins Show on the Pacifica Radio Network. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show on the Pacifica Radio Network. Welcome to it. If you've never heard this show before, oh boy, strap yourself in. We've got a lot of stuff to cover, including the government is back for a while. Uh, Stone, that guy, is in the news, and boy, do we have a lot to unpack there. We also got... Well, yeah, other stuff that's going around, including how the president is possibly leading the whole country to a lot of trouble by not dealing with the Russian situation. Before we get into all of that, some brief introductions are in line. Hello, welcome to my show. I am the unbespeckled host of this uh, little soiree. My name is Shaggy Jenkins. You can find me on my website, shaggyjenkins.com, or wherever fine social media is served. Just look for me at Shaggy Live. This guy can be found in a beautiful place somewhere not El Paso, even though I'm pretty sure he's a fan of the show. Please welcome instructor, former candidate Drew Landry to the show. Hey, well, good to be with you, Shaggy. Thanks again. Yeah, well, you know, I, I've always wanted to ask you because <clears throat> a lot of my musical DJing past uh, had to do with classic rock. Um, is LaGrange really like the song that ZZ Top said it is? <laughs> Uh, I can't, I don't think so. <laughs> I just, I gotta throw that out there because every time sure. I hear that song, I'm like, I think of Drew. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm more of a sharp dressed man type of guy, but that's, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And definitely more of a spokesman for Gillette than those guys were. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. I don't, I, I don't, I think they would get in, in a fight with their razor if, or even if they just saw one. I think they did. Yeah. <laughs> and only one of them lost. Um, yeah, that's right. It's always that one guy. That one guy. <laughs> well, uh, speaking of that one guy, let's start off today's show with that one guy that has been basically behind the longest shutdown in United States government history. Now, of course, it was only a partial shutdown, but still, what do we think this weekend about Donald Trump not getting what he wanted in the longest shutdown in the United States history? You know, that's an interesting question because we have to look at what it was he was fighting over, and that was, you know, he wanted, you know, $5.7 billion for a wall along the southern border. And we've talked about that at, at some length here on, on the show in the past. And so, uh, you know, it's, you know, he was demanding that, demanding that, and then finally it gets told to him, look, this is not going to happen. So deal with what you have. And he goes, well, okay, fine. But only for three weeks. What I really think is interesting here is that had a, you know, he's, he's never had any kind of true opposition from the Democrats on this until Nancy Pelosi became Speaker of the House. Uh, you know, Chuck Schumer was always just kind of there, and, and, and he was always able to give him some sort of a nickname. You know, he calls him, you know, Crying Chuck and Crazy Bernie and Crooked Hillary and all this sort of stuff, names that, that stick. He's not, he's not really able to do that to Nancy, Nancy uh, Pelosi, which he, if you saw his press conference, he goes, yeah, Speaker Pelosi, who I call Nancy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you're in her. So her nickname is her name. That's interesting. So <laughs> I wouldn't know of any other thing to call her. I don't know. Maybe speaker. But, mm. you know, there's that ongoing thing about, you know, one upmanship whenever you say, well, you know, who's your daddy? I think now we can ask him, Mr. President, who's your mommy? 
Oh, yeah, because let's let's just talk a little bit about the political ramifications of this. Okay, first off, who came out ahead, Democrats or Trump? Well, uh, yeah, that's a great question. I really don't think it was Democrats themselves as, as it was Speaker Pelosi. Uh, she dug her heels in and said, I mean, that's no pun there. I don't, don't, please don't take it that way. But I mean, she really, you know, dug in and said, look, um, you know, we're, you know, we're not moving on this. And, and, uh, and when the president blinked, you know, she's the one who came out really on top on this. And it wasn't, you know, Senate minority leader Chuck Schumer, because he's been more of a silent foe, but, Really, and you know, this is just kind of where we are. I mean, she led the charge, mm. and, uh, and she, she's a force to to be uh, uh, to be reckoned with. Because if you remember, after the November elections, if you remember this, there was a lot of talk about whether or not she was going to be speaker, or, or whether she should be, or you know, what in the world's going on here. Turns out that was probably the smartest move that the Democrats made after the election was to elect her to be speaker again. So um, she comes out looking very strong, as she's always been. She comes out looking uh, much better than the president. Um, you know, the base for the Democrats is very emboldened. And you look at the base for the Republicans, and they're going, especially for the president, going, so we got nothing. Yeah. And so that's where we are. Well, this is one of those things that I want to mention about Chuck Schumer, because as this this new government goes forward. He is ever increasingly starting to resemble one of the background characters from the Adams family. <laughs> I, I I don't mean to make it like any sort of claim to his character because let's just go ahead and be honest. Mine isn't that great as well, but <laughs> he's, he, he's very cousin it. <laughs> you know, I, I'm just going to say that this man is looking more and more menacingly over yeah. the shoulder of Pelosi every press conference, where I'm pretty sure that we're going to have a press conference soon where it's just Chuck Schumer behind Nancy Pelosi giving the throat cut sign <laughs> and staring at the camera menacingly and maybe maybe the two fingers to the eyeballs back to the camera. Like... Chuck Schumer is becoming very quickly the the um, the hype man, the flavor flave, as it were, to Pelosi. <laughs> it, you know, I I just look back at that you know open press conference that they had with the vice president who just sat in his chair and it looked like he was falling asleep, and there was the president and there was you know Schumer and there was uh, Speaker Pelosi, and so it was really just Speaker Pelosi and the president kind of talking back and forth. And then there was Schumer just sitting there on that couch inside the Oval Office, just nodding his head back and forth and saying a few things and kind of, you know, giving it some sort of a terrible grin. And you know, he he was just about as useless as as the vice president was. So, you know, but you're right. I mean, he's come out being this kind of this, I guess you could say a poster, uh, maybe wall uh, wallpaper if people still use that. Uh, in in this whole conversation where the true leader of this and the one who's really made, who's really done one-upmanship on the president is Speaker Pelosi. That's that's just where we're at. I mean, I, I, I can't think of anybody else who's who's been standing up stronger to him than her. I, I can't either. And, and this is kind of the, the deal with this is that for the first time, Trump is in real political danger. And and this is why I'm going to bring this up, Drew, because 
for the most part, Trump is always able to kind of assign a nickname to somebody and have that nickname stick with his base until... And and we'll we'll talk about the media in a little bit when we talk about the AOC man. But uh, I, I'm sorry for some strange reason. The only reason, the only way, and and this is something sickening about my personality that I'm going to admit on this show, Drew. Please don't think of me as less of a person. Oh, sometimes to get the concepts of government in my tiny tiny little brain, I have to use models or other examples. And and lately, my sure. Go- my go-to for the United States government is hip-hop. Okay. Okay. So, cool. Yeah. Cool. So when I call Chuck Schumer a Flava Flav, I'm not saying that he puts on a big clock and just yells, yeah, boy, from the back. <laughs> or dates Bridget Nielsen. Or dates Bridget Nielsen. <laughs> Although, let's just be honest, Speaker Pelosi, Bridget Nielsen, who would win in a beauty contest? I'm going with Pelosi. <laughs> Who'd win in a wrestling match? I'd go with Pelosi, too. But anyway. <laughs> you know, now that you mention it, I, I have friends that have told me of stories of San Francisco in the 70s and 80s. And San Francisco sounded like a really dangerous place. <laughs> oh, yikes. <laughs> yeah. But getting getting back into this, uh, Flava Flav, when it comes to public enemy, he is the hype man. But did you know that he's the only one in the group, Public Enemy, that is classically music trained and can play an assortment of instruments by ear, even being called at some points a musical prodigy and musical genius? Oh, well, no, I did not know that. Yeah, Flava Flav can basically teach himself any song after he hears it by listening to and memorizing the notes. He is. Instru- That's great. Yeah, he's instrumental in what Chuck D was doing with delivering the strong, empowerment message. And then, yeah, we had Flavor Flav that would give the flourishes on stage, the yeah, you know, son, things like that. Yeah. But he didn't really do a lot of talking on stage. Behind the stage, though, when they would talk about their songs and their arrangements and things like that, Flavor Flav was actually one of the bigger ones of the group. Mm. So when okay. I say that Chuck Schumer acts like a Flavor Flav, he is kind of, if you're thinking in that hip-hop mentality, really like that. A guy that is instrumental to the direction of the main group, but not so instrumental in being its mouthpiece. Am I wrong here? I don't think you're so much wrong on that. I, you know, he's been in the Senate for a long time, and he knows the right, uh, you know, people to to talk to, and and has the uh, connections to really, you know, make things go. And there's no question about that. Now he's got a, an an interesting uh, playbook when it comes to things, but in in politics, perception is reality. And that is one thing that the president knows very much about because he's all about the the perception and and talking tough and all that sort of thing. And what people have seen, what the public has seen is him not really being around and Pelosi being out front and and and, and really leading the charge. So I I think your analogy is quite fitting uh, uh, for the minority leader in, in the Senate. And uh, I don't know if that's what he wants. I don't know if that's what he, you know, at, you know, really wants to be, but that's kind of what he is. Can I go ahead and say something about Chuck Schumer that is going to be the most odd comparison you've ever heard, but I think I'm onto something with this, and your state plays very heavily into this example. 
Very good. Okay, let's start off with, <clears throat> Drew, how much can you tell me of the presidency of George W. Bush? How much time you got? Okay, not that much. So <laughs> let's just start off with the thing that I am eventually wanting to lead you to without Very good. engaging in Hegelian dialectics. Okay. <laughs> That's a real term, by the way, and if you Google it, you will be shocked how accurate it is. Okay. <laughs> I'm not doubting that at all. Okay, but here's the thing. George W. Bush was, <clears throat> and I say this not as a person of a political bias on either side. I say this mm -hmm. from a historical analysis. George W. Bush was an unremarkable president. Agree? Yeah. Okay. Now, the I reason I bring the, up the unremarkable president is because a lot of people are going, what do you mean? Do you know how much crap we got into it? Da, 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 da. We wouldn't have got into that stuff that everybody talks about without the middle management abilities of one Dick Cheney, who a lot of people, even during the George Bush years, and Drew, true or false, a lot of people thought Dick Cheney was the de facto president, not George W. Bush. That idea still flows today, yeah. Yeah. So when it comes to Chuck Schumer, I want to say that he is like a Dick Cheney, not a guy that strives for the main spotlight, not a guy that wants the main limelight, but who finds himself more useful behind the scenes working with the people in power of positions. Am I wrong? No, I don't, I don't think you are. Uh, he's, you know, he's been... You know, he knows people. He's he's been doing this for a long time, and uh, he's he's made the right co coalitions in the Senate and being there, you know, for that kind of time and that expertise. So I don't, I I think the only person who would have a real big problem with that thought would be his diehard fans, uh, would be probably him. But you know, his opinion is rather different from a from a factual statement because he is rather behind the scenes. I mean, he I, he he'll get on the camera and he'll say what he wants to do. But you know, nowadays, you know, since his counterpart in the House is leading the House, uh, she's really the face of it all, and now he has to be the one to make compromises and to lead the Democrats in 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 the Senate. And he's been doing that now, and and you know he's got a little bit more clout than he used to because of the of 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 the house. But you know, yeah, I think what what you were saying there, just to kind of wrap up my rambles here, is yeah, uh, I, I I don't think you're far off whenever you say that. Well, now let's talk about the Republicans' hype man, because as long as we're going to bring up number twos, Donald Trump has a number two that. <clears throat> Nobody has seen or heard from a whole lot. You had even made mention of the fact that in the time that Trump and Pelosi were having their famous confrontation, this guy was doing a Sherlock Holmes RDJ trying to become a chair in Watson's study routine. <laughs> you know, we haven't seen much of, of the vice president in some time. I mean, he did show up last Sunday on the talk shows and and kind of made some interesting comparisons between the president and and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Um, people that didn't really settle too well with that. And so you know this is a guy who um, who you know it isn't quite used to leading from behind. I mean, he's a congressman for several years mm -hmm. and was the governor of of Indiana and suddenly is thrusted as being the 
the the vice president so, of the United States. You kind of have to wonder, well, yeah, and it's kind of wondering, you know, where is he on this? Well, so can I yeah, just can I just ask one quick question because Mike Pence used to be in talk radio as well, and yeah, that's right. This is the thing that I don't think people understand about the Trump presidency. You've got a reality star who was doing kind of mediocre in the numbers, paired up with a talk show host that was trying to copy Rush Limbaugh and failed and lost his entire radio network. So much so that he had to slum it and go into a career of politics. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you what, you know, when you look at the political career of Mike Pence and the district that he, he represented in Indiana, it's more or less a middle-of-the-road far right. I mean, when you compare the whole right wing of, of the political spectrum, he's kind of like almost – like he was Tea Party before it was cool to be Tea Party. Um, so you know, when we look at, at his entire career, I mean, it's, it's fairly extreme. And by you know, I'm, and what I mean by that is that it's you know really to the right of the political spectrum, and the reason he gets away with it isn't so much as to how he's able to hide it. It's just that he's able to articulate it in a way in, in being a what he calls a happy warrior, and what is known as you know your you articulate your message not in an angry Rush Limbaugh. Uh, Sean Hannity type of a way, even you could even say Ann Coulter or even Bill O'Reilly, this type of in-your-face conservatism, I'm throwing it at you. He's that, That's not his style. Mm. His style is, look, I, I'm called to do this. I get passionate every once in a while, and that's kind of where I am. And people were like, look, he may be extreme on this, but his personality is really good. And he it doesn't seem to really, you know, really rock the boat when it comes to uh, other types of issues. But he really talks to my issues and, you know, he's real conservative on things I care about. That was that's his entire uh, demeanor. He can really come off as being a practical guy. But whenever he governs and his and, and his history of this shows is that he's rather extreme. So. But trying to dispose him of that, whenever the left gets angry and says he's crazy, he's this, then the people that you know, then they're the ones who who are looking crazy. Whenever he's standing there, just kind of saying, you know, and you know, coming up with a couple of good lines, he's he's the one in the room looking practical. Mm. It's it's his opponents who who come off as being, you know, the far left nutsos, and that does them no good. And that's why he's won so many elections, and that's why he's, you could say, he's. Uh, uh, really the one behind a lot of puppet mastery, if you want to. I don't know if there's a lot of good comparisons between, between him and Dick Cheney, but um, you know what we're looking at here is a guy who is trying to lay low in, in some way, but he knows what he's doing. Here's the thing. I'm going to go ahead and postulate a weird theory that Mike Pence has, from the inception of the Trump campaign, not been Donald Trump's number two. I don't think in any way, shape, or form Donald Trump and Mike Pence have ever solidified their ticket. 
is and 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 in an era where we just had best friends for life, BFF Biden and Obama lead the office, and then before that, best golf buddies forever, George W. Bush and Dick Cheney, and then. L- you know, possible drinking buddies, barbecuing, and one of them is a little bit of a sexual predator, Al Gore and Bill Clinton. Um, I'm just saying that the relationship between the president and Pence, Pence has never been a number two. Instead, I'm going to go, oh, no, no, I know we're having a little signal difficulty, but don't worry, Drew, because this one should come through loud and clear. I think Donald Trump's number two guy from the beginning has always been Roger Stone. What do you think? Yeah, I think that's a really good thought there. Um, there's been reports of the president making fun of Mike Pence. And while he's in the room, like there's a report that 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 comes out that says, you know, whenever uh, Pence was in the room, the president will come in. Trump comes in and he'll look at all the people in the room and goes, did Mike say he, he was going to pray for you? Did Mike say, you know, he's kind of making fun of him, poking fun of him. Um that kind of relationship doesn't happen with with Trump and Roger Stone, um, and that kind of relationship didn't happen with Trump and some of his other people. I mean, he 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 understands why Pence is there, and I think in a way Pence knows why he's there. But Pence is going to make the most out of this in the best way possible. I'm thinking that and, the only reason Mike Pence is there. Um, is because of Roger Stone recommending him to the position of saying, hey, this guy is so right of you, he will make you, remember that Hegelian dialectic? He will mm-hmm. make an argument for Trump being the sensible guy in the room if you pair up with him. That line mm-hmm. of thinking was Roger Stone. Well, as, as to what we just described about Mike Pence and his political career, uh, it's a bit of an interesting thought, but I think what it is is that I, and, and this is just could be another harebrained idea is that people could say Trump is just, you know, not with it, mm. but I'm willing to deal with his crazy indecisive. I don't know what I'm going to get from from day one to day two, as opposed to the consistent extremeness of the vice president, Mike Pence. So I'm willing to deal with maybe a guy who's just going to bloviate about a wall every you know, three or four weeks as opposed to somebody who might actually have the tenacity and, and the political tact to get something like you know, rather extreme when it comes to education or, or the military or the environment mm-hmm. or even you know, you know, women's rights. So that's kind of where we are. And you know, with the president just – I mean just saying whatever's on his mind – and I don't think anyone can say that he doesn't. I, I I don't think he has a filter. I think whatever he tweets was exactly what he was thinking at that moment, hmm. and and what he said at you know at the podiums and every time he just goes off on something that's that's him. He that that's that's him. That's he him 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 talking, and he wants everyone to be as surprised as what came out of his mouth just as much as as he is. So. Uh, it's kind uh, of an <laughs> that's yeah, I, that's a terrible thing. It's like I'm going to get up here and let words come out, and by the time that these words form sentences and paragraphs, we are all in for a shock. Right. I, I'm not so sure I like that yeah. style of leadership. But there are those who love that style of, of leadership. That he's not, you know, some smooth politician like Mike Pence or Mitt Romney or John McCain, or any of those types of people. 
he's rough shot and I'm shoot from the hip. I'm going to tell you what I think. And, and that's what drew a lot of people to him, but the people, but the person behind him and the people who've been all along the Trump campaign, they've been trying to really, you know, guide him in some ways. And Roger Stone's been there every step of the way. And there's this, I don't, I don't want to, I don't know how else to really say this. There's like a little bromance between Roger Stone and and the president. And then there's nobody who's been more defensive of Roger Stone than the president, especially here in the past you know weekend. Mm-hmm. Now, that's kind of what I wanted to bring up because, oh boy, we're going to have to take a break right in the middle of this segment and come <laughs> back to it. But before we get to the break, we got like two minutes here. I, I kind of want to mm-hmm. talk a little bit about the history of Roger Stone as a political operative because mm-hmm. those people that you started naming, he's not as sophisticated as a Mike Pence or a John McCain or a blah, 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 blah. Those people... Because of their perception of uh, political savviness are often looked as the purveyors of their own success. However, each and every one of those people that you mentioned had somebody behind the scenes as a political advisor that let them, you know, through certain guidance and mentoring, become what we, the public, see them as. Roger Stone has been, and this is no joke, working on the the Donald Trump presidency since 1982. Yeah. Now, is Roger Stone guilty of seeing something that the rest of us don't? Or is this just a guy that knows a political workhorse when he sees one, despite the value of the horse? Yeah, boy, that's a great question. I mean, you know, the, I think it was in in '88, Trump, you know, threw his name in the ring and then got out of it soon, you know, right before the New Hampshire primary. I mean, this is a guy who's who's been around politics for a long time. I mean, he worked in in the Nixon White House. Um, yeah, he's this is a guy who who knows politics. Yeah, you know, it's not like he's a novice to any of this. He knows somebody. He he feels like he can coach them to beat anybody. And that's another hip hop reference. He knows somebody that knows somebody (laughs) that knows something about it. We had to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk more. Roger Stone, the arrest and the government gets the Shaggy Jiggit show. This is Scientific American's 60-Second Science. I'm Karen Hopkin. So I never really thought I'd study penis size, but I sort of stumbled on this topic. Mark Lydra, a biologist at Dartmouth College. Lydra travels to Costa Rica to study hermit crabs, a species called Cenobita compressus. These land crabs do some interior remodeling of their adopted shells. They extensively hollow them out, removing struts called spiral columella to give themselves some extra elbow room. The renovation renders the shells more precious to their owners and to other covetous crustaceans as well. These more valuable shells, though, are also more easily stolen, since without the spiral columella inside the shell to grip onto, individuals are pretty liable to have their property snatched from them, particularly when they are engaged in other activities, like copulation, which requires coming partway out of the shell. 
despite his work in the field, it wasn't until Lydra was wandering through a museum that he noticed something about his favorite crabs. The really striking thing was that Cenobita compressus, the one whose social behavior I've been studying for so many years, had an unusually large penis, in fact bigger than any of the other species. The observation gave him an idea, which he dubbed the private parts for private property hypothesis. In essence, the hypothesis posits that enlarged private parts can be an adaptation, extending a male's sexual reach and thus enabling both him and his partner to remain safely tucked away inside their shells while they copulate, thereby protecting the private property of their shells from being stolen during sex. Darwin proposed a similar idea to explain why barnacles, which are stuck in one place, are so amply endowed. To test his private parts for private property hypothesis, Lydra sized up more than 300 male museum specimens including hermit crabs that live on land and at sea. And he found that crabs that carried custom coverings had the most impressive carnal equipment. At the same time, species that got their shells off the shelf had bigger gear than did crabs that walked around with no shell at all. His results are revealed in the Royal Society journal Open Science. It's intriguing to think that this hypothesis might have greater generality beyond hermit crabs. But like a hermit crab encountering a humdrum shell, Lydra says he's going to leave that one alone. For me, I'm much more curious about how forms of animal architecture and remodeling in the environment impact social behavior. Thanks for listening. For Scientific American's 60 Second Science, I'm Karen Hopkin. Dig deeper. Remove the hype. Find the facts. It's the Shaggy Jenkins Show on the Pacifica Radio Network. It's the Shaggy Chicken Show on the Pacifico Radio Network, heard on fine radio stations across the country known as America. But if things keep going the way it is, it will be the Russian Republic of America very soon. Uh, before we get into some of our news events, if you missed any of the first part of the show, what the hell were you thinking? Yeah, don't worry about it. We actually got a nice way for you to catch up. Just go to ShaggyJenkins.com or wherever fine social media is served at Shaggy Live. Joining me from the great state, former country of Texas, um, he is a college instructor who from time to time has to engage in being a musical critic. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Drew Landry. (laughs) Thanks, Shaggy. Good to be back. You know, I'm just going to say that people have no idea that when we're doing this show, the show is actually like three times longer than it comes out on radio. <laughs> Every Be- time. Because me and you get into these little random talks and things, and, and, and I almost, in our mid-break talk here, forgot that we were about to cover the most depressing man in United States history, Roger Stone. Yeah. Yeah. So now that our mood yeah. was all bo- buoyed and... and, and, and and heartfelt and great. Now let's let's just dive right down the downward spiral of hell, much like Trent Reznor does when he's composing music, and look very critically at the week that was for Roger Stone. First off, Drew, Friday. Would you like to be woken up how Roger Stone was woken up? Boy, I would not want to be woken up that way. No, thank you. But, you know, look, uh, if you do the type of things that Roger Stone has done and especially in the past, you know, going on three years here, if not longer, um, I think you have to be prepared for a wake-up like that and then for him to be asleep when that happened. Uh, that's on him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, as long as we're talking hip-hop references, Mr. Stone, don't let him catch you sleeping. Cause that's right. Because here's the thing. The optics. 
effects of that has got America really kind of scratching its head. Now, <clears throat> Drew, Roger Stone, is he a physically intimidating kind of guy? You know, whenever I look at him, I don't get intimidated. I really don't. I mean, he's a pretty short guy. I mean, well, I shouldn't say short. He's about average, but I, you know, he's not exactly uh, like you know Schwarzenegger type of in- intimidating. But when it comes to his his physical looks, he, he looks like somebody you can just pit up against the wall and just point your finger at him. But but his personality is way different than that. I mean, this is a guy who is a he, he, you know, this is a, a sleeping lion and he's okay until you start messing with him and then he's going to, you know, fight back. You know, the funny thing is, is I've always kind of compared and, and, and please America don't think ill of me for doing this, but if you enjoy it, laugh because I've always kind of thought of Roger Stone as being a badly Botox Steve Martin. And then this weekend, SNL made my reality happen. <laughs> Boy, did they ever. <laughs> I mean, he's part of the cold open there in, in the Tucker Carlson show. But, you know, look, you know, Roger Stone is just, he's, he's not a good guy. Um, there are, I mean, he's, he's got his following. He's got people who are very much behind him. Let's not be not naive and think that, you know, that everybody hates Roger Stone. They don't. Um, he's got a, and to give him some credit here, he's got a pretty good political mind. I mean, there's, he got President Trump elected. I mean, he got Donald Trump elected. Yeah, so uh, only in America did Roger Stone truly prove that you can polish a turd. <laughs> but as we're looking at here, he may have needed the help of the Russians in order to really do that. Mm. And that's why he is where he is. And so, uh, you know, your, your dirty deeds and, and done dirt cheap have probably come back to, to roost. Yeah. Well, look, even ACDC, when they wrote the song, dirty deeds done dirt cheap, kind of realized lyrically that dirty deeds done dirt cheap are the ones that they get the job done, but Oh, you're not getting away from the blame of it. Everybody Mm -hmm. will know what, has happened when you do something dirty very cheaply. But Roger Stone has done very dirty things very expensively in the Washington lobbying congressional presidential races for decades. I'm just going to throw this out there. The way that he was arrested wasn't just because of who he is. It's because... I'm going to just throw this out here. I think Mueller is trying to say, specifically with the bombastic character of Roger Stone, that if you think that you can be a loud mouth kind of know-it-all and tell-me-my-job, when the investigation finally comes to you, oh, we're going to make it look bad for you. Do you think oh, that's what happened? Oh, yeah, I absolutely did. Um, if anyone lost the PR battle, that was that was Stone. Um Look, Bob Mueller is a veteran, and he and he's been in this business for a long, long time, and he knows exactly what buttons to push. He knows exactly what to say, and exactly the right time. And if there's anybody who may have met their match here, it's 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 Stone because uh, Robert Mueller is is coming after him, and well, he he got him. Now Stone's come out and said, you know, I'm going to plead not guilty, and I'm not going to lie against the president. Mm-hmm. All, all this and that. I mean, he's he's taken up his sword on this, and when the investigation and all the evidence is put forward, 
um, you know, we're, we'll see if that not guilty plea will, will, will actually change because, you know, the, we, we've already seen some reports last, well, I think this past weekend of a guy who said, yeah, exactly what was done in there was, was accurate. What, what was said, uh, in the report about me is, is, is correct. And so, uh, Roger Stone has no need to lie. And he's going to, but he shouldn't because what he's going to say is going to be untrue. So that's the point of that. And so here, here's, here's where we are. I mean, Mueller has taken his time on this. He needs to. He should. And, he, and you're exactly right. That, that characterization when it came to how you deal with someone like Roger Stone is exactly how it was done. Yeah, because this is the thing. Time and time again, <clears throat> Roger Stone has flouted and said that oh, special counsel has nothing on me. He even went on Instagram this weekend and said, what does Mueller have on me? It's a big nothing burger and, and showed off some Photoshop skills. Um, the thing <laughs> is, I can do better. My, my daughter can do better Photoshops, Roger Stone. Come on. I mean, look, I, I'm... Some people pick and choose political battles for me is Photoshop, okay? But if this is going to be the hill that I die on, then by God, I'm going to Teddy Roosevelt the hell out of this. Um, but besides bad Photoshop and all of the public messages of, of kind of defiance that Roger Stone gives, this weekend, okay, the president not only got his reputation smacked by essentially losing to Nancy Pelosi and no one else. But now his number two confidant, Roger Stone, went on the Sunday programs and basically said, hey, I might cooperate with a special counsel. If you're Trump, Drew, how nervous does this Friday display and this Sunday change of tone, how frightening does that weigh on your conscience? Boy, you know, since the fact he didn't say anything about it, Except for Sunday, and you know, I made some tweets calling it a again. He's kept calling it a witch hunt and all this and that. Um, that's what you do. I mean, that's your automatic defense mode is try to decredit what's what's coming after you. But whenever it brings out people who are on your defense to admit things, like as we mentioned last week with Rudy Giuliani, just absolutely proving that this is not a witch hunt and all the things that he has said last, you know, well not last week but the week before. Before, um, you know, all those things, all those mi mishaps, it proves that this is not a witch hunt. Yeah. And so wh what you would do there is try to remain silent as you can. And then as, you would you'd hope you just remain silent for a long time. But this president has a terrible time remaining silent. And so he went to Twitter and just you know called a witch hunt and said, that, you know, this is not true. And Roger Stone is great. And, you know, all that type of stuff. So. You know, yeah, th th that's that's you know the 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 predictability of the president is that he's going to try and to protect his his friends. Now, the big question here, at least it is for me, is that if Stone comes out with something, and you know Mueller you know is is able to twist the tables and get him to say something that is he he wouldn't want and could be incriminating. Um, to, to both him and the president, uh, what will the president do to that? And I think this is where all the uh, talk that we had about presidential pardons comes in to really play. Mm. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, joking Steve Martin aside, where he came on to the SNL and said, pardon me. Yeah, okay. But uh, yeah. 
<laughs> with that aside, look, this is something that is going to be very scary for us to talk about because, you know, everybody's focusing on the areas of the Roger Stone story that have precedence. One, he's yeah. very close to the president. Two, mm -hmm. he's been involved since the very, 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 very beginning, way back in the 1980s of this whole monster. He mm -hmm. has regularly talked about, bragged about his contacts within WikiLeaks until they got incriminating on him, and then That's all right. of a sudden he knows nothing. And time and time again has talked about his role models uh, being either punk rockers or Richard Nixon, which... Yeah. If you know anything about Tricky Dick, Tricky Dick did not rock the three-finger cord. No, he didn't. And, you know, w w when the Nixon Foundation comes out and tries to dis distance themselves from Roger Stone, that speaks volumes that he wasn't even prepared for. No. That was deafening even to him. But, you know, one thing we always have to remember here is that, well, is first of all, you were exactly right, uh, was the whole WikiLeaks thing. Is that if you remember back in 2016 during the campaign, you know the president would go all on, 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 on about how much he loves WikiLeaks, great WikiLeaks, finding out all this stuff on Hillary, bring out all this stuff about her, all this stuff, and then finding out that you know Stone has this great connection to it, and he goes, oh, I don't, I don't know any, any, anything now. Well, that, that's the thing we have to remember is that, you know, well, you loved it at this point, now you suddenly don't know anything, and so do you have a great connection to Julian Assange, who's, you know, his future is way up in the air as well? Um, you know, what's going to happen here? You know, this is, you know, I hate to use this type of analogy because it's rather scary for our, our country as, as, as a whole, but the only analogy I can come up with is what uh, one football player said, uh, get your popcorn ready, because this is going to be some much-watched television, and uh, I don't know if that's always positive, but people have to know what's what's taking place here. Hmm. And one of the greatest ways to get people to not watch it is to tell everyone that that it's fake, and that you have, and that it's it, it's a witch hunt, and the president's really good at ar articulating that particular message. Can I just say <laughs> that maybe we're looking at this wrong because there is an entity out there that we've for countless decades, told people that it was fake. And we've, we've said that a lot of things that happen within uh, this organization, especially public displays of rivalry and stuff like that, are, are from time to time witch hunt-esque. And despite all of the, the fakeness that we talk about this industry, it's very, very successful and oddly political within the last year. Drew, do you have any idea what organization that I think Donald Trump is actually taking, and people like Roger Stone is taking their failure and fakery makes us great model from? Are you talking about the media? No, I'm talking about wrestling. WWE oh. wrestling. We have told people for years that wrestling is fake, and yet its fandom still grows. Yeah, you got a big point there. You know... Uh, well, I don't know, you know if that's a good point was, for the human race to make at this point, though, Drew. Well, well, just yesterday was the WWE Royal Rumble, so that was that's one of the that, that's a, one of the big staples of pro wrestling. But so it, it's very fun to watch. That's all I got. But yeah, yeah you're right. But, but you know, the, the popularity of, of, of professional uh, wrestling uh, ebbs and flows. Um, you can see a lot of stagery here between the president and what he's trying to achieve. And you can see that kind of, you know, being rather 
analogous to the aspects of, of pro wrestling. And he did show up. I mean, he did have a, a time in WWE, you know, universe whenever, you know, he did some sort of a head, head shaving contest with Vince McMahon. So it was an interesting little turn there. But for somebody who has been an entertainer and to try to tell people that something is this when it's really, you know, that, um, he's really good at, 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 uh, distraction. And so, you know, we're going to be seeing more of that. I mean, we're not going to see less of, you know, calling the Mueller investigation a witch hunt. I mean, I, you know, whenever the whole thing comes down and, and everything else, he's, he's going to be yelling, witch hunt, witch hunt, witch hunt. So, well, I mean, and I do want to bring up one story today about <sighs> Alessandria, uh, Ocasio Cortez. And I'll, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll talk about that in a sec because, what she said is the antithesis of what Roger Stone's methodology is. Whereas Roger Stone loves to get on these Sunday programs like he did this weekend and tell people, oh, the news is fake, it's nothing burgers, nothing. Yeah. You got to remember that he was reminded on those very same shows that um, we don't know how to tell you this, Roger Stone, the. Articles of indictment, the actual charges against you are specific, they are well documented, and you yourself are on tape making statements that back up the case that was used to indict you. For Mm -hmm. you to say they have nothing on you is for you to forget your entire role in incriminating yourself. Will, yeah. will that kind of model be eventually what happens to Trump as well? That's the only, I mean, that's really going to be the smoking gun. I mean, we can talk about emails all day long. We can talk about um, other types of, you know, like, uh, you know, there was the ongoing talk about a P tape. Um, uh, I mean, that was a bit more descriptive than what it should have been, but sorry. Uh, uh, well, well, no, no, keep in mind that as long as we're talking about human urine, this weekend, Stone did say that the prosecution's claims against him were as thin as, <clears throat> quote, piss on a rock. Now, I am from North Carolina, a place of many free peers, as it were. And, and I'm sure that in the bastion that is known as Texas, there is many a man that has let it fly. So this is the thing. I have a hard time scientifically quantifying exactly how thin and how thick the argument is with that analogy. And furthermore, I've never heard it, and I come from a place that has been described as, quote, redneck as hell. Um, I just got to throw this out there. What is it with the Trump administration and urine? I don't know. I don't know. We're I mean, gonna need a are we going to find out next week that R. Kelly is the new minister of defense? I mean, oh. Secret- oh, secretary of defense, wrong country. Sorry, you have secretaries, not ministers. Uh-oh. Uh, so, no. Uh, I think what, what the deal is. Welcome is, to the Shaggy you know, Jenkins Show, where even I forget the mechanics of governance that we work under. I think, I think well, well, it'll be made up anyway, so when I call it a minister of, of defense. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, he'll just create it. This is my minister. He's a great minister guy. He's so defensive. He's my minister of defense. R. Kelly. I can see it happening. But I think next week we need to come in with a urine sample to see how thin or thick it is. But uh, 
<laughs> okay, can I just make a challenge oh on this show? Drew, between me and you, sometime over the course of this week, because there will have to be probably some alcoholism, a lot of courage in talking and motivational speakers, one of us needs to quantify exactly what the thin or thickness of piss on a rock is. <laughs> well, uh, I feel I our I legal argument needs it. Week, so I, th- I, think, I think I'll ask my doctor in the upcoming yes. session. But anyway, but no, I wanted to t- I forget what I was even going to say to begin with, but I, but no, uh, back back to what you were asking me. You know, what's it going to take? Is it's going to take a recording where we can definitely see that uh, that the president said it. I mean, if you remember the you know the Access Hollywood tape, mm-hmm. I mean that was clear. I mean there was no uh, ambiguity that it was that it was Trump. Okay, there was no ambiguity that 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 was him. It's going to take something like that. For him to, you know, say, you know, get this done or or whatever the case may be. And that's going to be the the smoking gun that's going to, you know, really get everything out there. I mean, I, I mean, I'm just going to reference South Park here. There's an episode where, you know, Mickey Mouse is trying to get the Jonas Brothers, you know, to sing on stage his way. And and the, all the truth comes out when the when it's a hot mic uh, situation and everyone leaves. Uh, that's exactly what's going to have to happen in order for people to buy into uh, that. There's no question that the president's behind it, Stone's behind it, all this stuff, and that's what we're that's what we're looking at here. Well, regardless of who's behind what or who's done what, I'm going to go ahead and say that, believe it or not, me and you, personally, at this point, probably, oh, a young upstart representative from New York. Uh, a, a leveled thank you. This week, it's kind of been never more apparent in the United States that pol- politicians will blame or use the media how they see fit to accomplish their goals, regardless right. of a free and open media having the one and only goal of being able to disseminate truthful information. Roger Stone and Donald Trump. Now, this is the thing. And I'm going to make this just a real quick aside so that we can talk about Ocasio-Cortez. Donald Trump and Roger Stone, through their actions of using the media to talk bad about the intelligence community of the United States, to talk bad about people that accuse the president of wrongdoing, to say absolutely nothing about Russia or Vladimir Putin's roles and escalating roles in cyber attacks against the United States, to basically decry foul Every single time that new evidence comes up against him versus trying to ins- uh, to insulate and protect the institutions of the United States, Roger Stone and Donald Trump, with the way that they attack people, have damaged permanently democracy in the United States and sent a very dangerous message across the world that if you're a place like Russia and you want to manipulate governments and things like that, as long as there's money involved with the guy at top, no consequences will be had. So single-handedly, these two guys have destroyed the America that we knew just a few short years ago. And here's the funny thing. One of the biggest arguments they make about this Ocasio-Cortez actually brought to light when she said that big publications having mega-mergers and those mega-mergers controlling things like news entities 
or mm-hmm. how the internet specifically skews traffic to go towards <clears throat> our news sites versus their news sites that free and open media in the United States needs protections now. And Drew, I actually kind of agree with her. Do you? Uh, yeah, uh, there's there's not a whole lot of controversy with that. The ones who aren't going to like it are well, those you know who are CEOs of 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 the big big companies. I mean, you know, this is you know, always remember that they're the ones you know the bigs you know the big big you know corporate um, media mm-hmm. entities you know want uh, the uh, the neutrality. You know, they want net neutrality. They want that sort of thing. Yeah. No, um, no. This is something that i got to bring up just real quickly because, you know, as long as we're talking about media conglomeration happening through uh, online mediums, just two weeks ago, Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg actually pledged hundreds of millions of dollars for what they like to call a local news project, whereas localization of news becomes the precedence of what social media handles. Um... Didn't we used to have that with the traditional news? When did it change? <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, I I always you know we we always remember you know in the 1980s when CNN made it big and and then you see all the other 24-hour news networks coming in thereafter and then you often wondered you know what was the scope of that and how far would it go? I don't think anybody ever thought that a social media network or you or utility or or whatever type of word he wants to use to describe it um, could now dictate what your local news will be or what coverage that will get. So this is it. This is beyond what anybody ever, ever imagined here. Um, I don't think Orson Welles and in the book 1984 or anything like that could think of something like this. But look, um, the problem that that we have is the conglomerates, if they keep buying people and buying more media, they can fire people and they can put whatever that they want on there. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing that the government could do on that is to stop the mergers from from happening because any merger has to be approved by the federal government. So, um, and that's been around, you know, for eons. I mean, for over a hundred years. I think I think it was even TR who who brought that in. So, you know, this is where we are. Um, is you know, you know, I'm not a big fan of all these. Big uh, conglomerates coming in and 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 telling us what the message will be, um, but always remember. I mean, there's you know people will argue about a First Amendment right. First Amendment is only is only there for the protections from the government, not inside the workplace. So, is this shady? Is this terrible? Uh, that's really up to you. For me, yeah, it is. If you're a big owner, you know of of you know Fox or Viacom or any of those places, you know, you're thinking, heck yeah, this is wonderful. I got to bring out my own news and it's no big deal and people will just buy into it. Um, uh, that's a bit of a problem for me. And let, you know, let alone the other aspect here is that, you know, I can slow down someone else, you know, someone's internet if they go to a competitor's website Mm -hmm. and use their stuff. I mean, that's, that's the beauty. That's the net neutrality that they're wanting to really bring in. Um, and these aren't fabricated things. These aren't hypothetical. These are real things have been happening in the United States for at least, the, you know, especially for the TV things for the past 15 years. Yeah. Well, Drew, if, if not longer, we have got to go and hope that, oh. well, 
maybe next week we still got some shows to be on after making fun of all of the media today. Hey, until next time, please take care of yourself. Love you, mean it. Get in by. We are out. <laughs>